Welcome to the Ideas on Stage podcast, your regular insight into leadership communication. Joanna, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Now, today it's all about personal impact, which is your main area of expertise. And we're going to talk about personal impact particularly when it comes to and how this is connected to presentations and speaking, which is our area of expertise. And I'd like to start just by asking a a quick question, which is something I found on your, I think it was either your website or your LinkedIn profile. (laughs) And you say that among many other things, you also speak at events and the main topics you include are personal impact, networking and office politics. So you also talk about office politics. Yes. Yes, definitely. A very important topic um, because I do work with people on personal impact, but also their relationship management skills, Mm. which of course encompasses every scenario you come across in a professional environment. So of course, office politics is a really important one of those that is primarily talking about the internal environment, but of course can be related to external if you're seeing that happening with your clients or prospective clients or indeed how you're relating to them. Mm, yeah. And okay, talking about personal impact. Now, you you believe that and and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that you specialize on um working with professionals in the financial uh services, professional services. And and you believe that even in an industry like that, technical skills and and knowledge are not enough why do you think that's the case and and if they are not enough what else do we need Mm, sure yeah technical skills are always going to be important particularly in those sectors as you say financial and professional services so i work with a lot of people in finance legal a lot of actuaries so people that have to pass a lot of exams and have a lot of qualifications but if you think about as as people become more senior in those organizations they have to do more relating to other people whether that be to direct external clients or internal clients or other partners they're working with. And essentially, that's where other skills matter. So some people call those other skills soft skills. I don't actually like that term because Mm -hmm. they're not very soft. They're hard to learn and they're actually hard as in important. Uh, I tend to refer to them as people skills. Um, so though, if you think about just when you go to a solicitor, even as a consumer and you're buying a house and they're doing your legal paperwork for you, you kind of assume that they are a good solicitor. They'll get the technical stuff done. What's important to you, getting it done quickly, finding out where you are, being able to have a conversation with them about challenging elements. If you can't do that, then usually people get very frustrated. True. And what, as I said at the beginning, I'm very interested in this idea of, in the work you do when it comes to personal impact especially when it comes to my world, which is presentations, effective presenting and speaking. So how do you see that? What's the the role of presentations then when it comes to personal impact? Well, you need to, to engage people well during a presentation. You need to have a positive personal impact. If, you're, if you walk on, let's look at it the most extreme level, walk on a stage and you don't ooze credibility and gain people's attention, what's the point? Because if as a result of that presentation, people don't think, act, 
differently, do something differently, then you haven't influenced them and achieved anything. And it's a lot harder to do those things if your personal impact isn't positive in the first place. Whereas if you've thought about how are you engaging with people through what you look like? So candidly, we don't like to think of judging people, but are you turning up dressed in an appropriate way for the circumstance? And these days that's certainly far from a suit very often, even in the sectors I work in. But if you're not dressed appropriately for the event you're going to, the people you're speaking to, where you're presenting, then already people are thinking, oh, that's a bit strange. And they're more distracted by your clothing rather than listening to what you're saying. And then if you're not building rapport with people through your body language and using your voice effectively, then people aren't going to engage with the core content of what you're communicating. Yeah, and, and I think in preparation for this conversation, I had a look at um, many, and you, by the way, you have a wonderful collection of articles on LinkedIn, <laughs> and it's great. It makes my life easier. <laughs> and you talk about three core skills, three core tools, you call them, for creating personal impacts, which are appearance, body language, and voice. Yes, exactly right. Could you... Tell us more about this. Can we explore these three tools in a bit more mm. detail? Mm, sure. Well, appearance, I just went into a little bit. So really the challenge, and it is a bigger challenge now, because if you think about 30, 40 years ago, everybody going to work in the sectors I work in would have been in a suit. There's no mm. doubt about it. Whereas now, very few, even getting the Northern Line, the city branch, the last five years, I've dramatically seen that decrease again. So the challenge now is getting that right. What, how do you need to show up appearance-wise? What do you need to look like? So you can be very casually dressed, but you need to look like you're bothered because otherwise it's not really showing respect for the people you're meeting um, and that people make the association in their mind. If they can't dress themselves properly, then can they do the work properly? It sounds superficial, but that is the link that people can make. So the challenge there is making that appropriate for your day. Um, so whether that, that might be a suit if you're seeing a certain type of client or it might be something far more relaxed. So if you are a, a lawyer, for instance, and you're working maybe with the media or IT sectors, you're probably going to be dressed in a far more relaxed way to if you're working with finance clients. Um, so appearance is a sort of get that right, tick it off element. Uh, and I, a lot of my work originally started in depth, doing in depth work with people on how they could show up in the best possible way for them. Um, so I still think it's a very important one, but it's only part of the puzzle. And then body language, how you use that to own your space, to look confident, to welcome other people in, to build rapport, to make people want to engage with you. So all those things such as posture, eye contact, gestures, how do you use all of those effectively to convey yourself, engage with others, but also to have the skills to read those so you can read other people and see what you need to do to engage them a bit further. And then finally, voice and obviously several elements to voice. So volume, intonation, pace, enunciation. And I think the biggest challenge I see with even senior leaders on their voice is the pace at which they speak. Mm. I don't know if you see this in your work as well, but people often speak far too fast. They forget that they're often giving new information. And so the people listening need some time to take it in. And I think that speaking fast can have different routes. It might be they're nervous, so they just don't think about it, want to get it out. They're not giving value to what they're saying, so they're mm. just saying, oh, it's this again, say it quickly. 
or it can be a sign of arrogance as well that, mm. you know look at me i'm so great i know stuff i can speak quickly but it's not good for effective communication so um work with people on that i also have voice coaches that i bring in if people need more in-depth support yeah. with that area and are there in this particular on this particular point voice are there any in addition to what you've just said any other ways that perhaps we can uh, use any any tips anything you have in mind to for us to be able to increase the verbal impact in mm. particularly when it comes to business in a business context in business meetings mm. anything that comes to your mind the first thing to do is to get feedback on how your mm. voice and in fact those other elements come across so particularly when I'm working with private clients, I do two things. I give them my feedback, but I often don't do that until I've asked them to A, think about the elements for themselves and also to get feedback from trusted colleagues at work because ultimately I don't see those people in how they really show up at work. I see them in a meeting with me um, and maybe they're more or less nervous or different. So I do get them to go and get that feedback and ask quite specific questions of people that experience them in presentations, meetings, and more informal meetings, general catch-ups, just to see what people observe about them. Mm. So then we're working on the real specifics of what's necessary for them. Because very often I have clients come to me and they'll say some like the middle senior level people and so they've had good careers and still do have good careers, but very often they've had some feedback that's their boss or other person in the organization has said you need to work on this. And sometimes that feedback's really vague. So someone <laughs> will come to me and say, Oh, my line manager says I need to work on my presence. Um, okay, we've all got a sense of what presence means, haven't we? Yeah. They have, I have, you have, etc. But actually, what does their particular line manager yeah. mean by that? Because that could be very specific. It could mean something around one of those three tools. It could be a specific scenario. So the challenge is to get very specific feedback. And uh, you may have seen, I wrote an article on that a little while ago about saying to people, when you get feedback from others, make sure you're really clear exactly what they mean by that. Because if you're not, you could be working on the wrong thing or you're not motivated to work on it at all because you don't know what it really means. And on this point, do you do that in any particular ways? And if any of my questions doesn't lead to, to anything, no, no problem at all, but I'm just curious now, mm. do, do you do anything in particular to, to be able to get a very specific and useful feedback from, from people? Any particular questions maybe that you ask? I say to people the questions they should ask others are things start general so what impact do you think I have mm. in meetings but then you don't want to lead people but you need to help them out and make make that real so as there that person starts to answer you could give them a few more guidelines or examples of things to think about just uh, and the key is that they come out able to tell me very clearly oh well my line manager gave this example of in a meeting with x client i did this and they felt the problem mm. with that was because then it, we're working on a real life scenario but working on lifelong career skills so using mm. real life examples to generate well what could you have done differently um, so there's the self-awareness, then there's the education and then getting them to go and practice that new skill back in the workplace. It's very much those three um, things that I work with people on one-to-one. -one. Of course, in a group scenario, and I'm doing that work, you can get less of that. You generally get a bit of self-awareness raising, some education, 
limited practice because I'm not seeing them on an ongoing mm. basis. But it, this is behavioral change and it takes time. It's not like going to learn how to use Excel and you can follow some instructions. It takes time to change these behaviors. So another piece of uh, advice I always give people is don't try and work on too many things at once. Mm. So we'll agree until we see each other again, they'll work on two things maybe being really specific about those in meetings and then when they become more natural and normal then we'll add to that i like this one yeah and also you said in in another piece that i found online that in addition to these three core tools that we said appearance body language and voice you also talk about consistency Mm. You say there is another, actually another thing that you need to have, which is consistency. And, and of course, I, I understand what consistency is. Could you give us your view and explore that in a bit mm. more detail? Mm. What I mean by that is people knowing what to expect from you, how you deliver work, how you typically respond. But that doesn't mean you don't also need to be flexible. So you, of course, do need to... Um, flex your style to different people i'm reading a fascinating book at the moment which is you would have heard of loosely in terms of disc analysis but this one surrounded by idiots um talks about different types of people so of course we do need to work out how to communicate to others because if we just communicate in our own style all the time then that's not going to hit everybody um, but there is a consistency in people knowing that when i go and talk to joanna she's not going to file the handle she's going to respond in this way she's xyz and so on that on that note i get people to work on their personal brand mm. again don't like the term personal brand at all i know what you but, mean yeah. <laughs> uh, but if you think about we all buy brands because we've got an association with them it's not necessarily always it's the best product in the market there's just something about that brand we think suits us so it's getting people to think what do i want people to say about me when i'm not in the room Mm. it's that sort of feels and what i try and do with people is get them to distill that to three words so no great brand statement is a sentence can be quite meaningless but if we get people to think about three words that then every time they've got a decision to make an action to take they can think does this back up my three words i.e help me be consistent mm -hmm. or is it contrary to it and it can be fine to be contrary to it, but there needs to be a good business reason why. Mm -hmm. So the three words we go about, so I've got some exercises I give people to do to think about that for themselves. Again, ask other people for feedback. Some clients just come up with them straight away uh, once we've had a bit of a discussion about them. But centering around those three words, and um, if you share one of mine, is approachable. Because if I'm not approachable in my job, no one is going to talk to me about their deepest darkest career challenges and what they're struggling with and in groups people aren't going to share either so that's really important to me to to keep that consistency of being yeah. approachable whilst i interact with people any particular reasons why three <laughs> um i think three is easy to remember yeah um two is a bit limited those reasons really i think we can all remember three things yeah, that's true true no no I, I was asking because it's it's one of the pieces Power of three, is, is it? yeah <laughs> the, the rule of three it's a very powerful <laughs> rule in communication i was just curious yeah, and, and i love this title what was it i wrote it here surrounded by idiots I love the yeah. title of that book. It's a very good. And do you know, I've seen two other people on the tube reading that book in the last week as well as me. <laughs> I think that's what happens also, isn't it? That you, 
when you start doing something or maybe when you buy a new car then from the day after you see that <laughs> yeah. car everywhere isn't that true yeah that is true i don't know what that's called there must be a yeah. name for that theory <laughs> yeah me neither yeah okay john i also wanted to ask you isn't it true that lots and i don't i don't know whether you see that as well but it, it seems to me that lots of professions, regardless of their experience and, and level, experience level within a certain organization, often they, if they can, they avoid presenting. <laughs> so question for you is, do you see that as well in your work? And if that's the case, where does that come from? Why do you think <laughs> that's the case? Yeah, I see this loads and I think it's really career limiting because it can it holds people back fundamentally from taking opportunities that help gain them exposure, that help them to get promotions to be seen. Um, I'm working at the moment actually with an accountancy firm partner and she uh, has been a partner for a while. She made a lateral move to a different firm and she had avoided presenting her whole career but in the new firm she's in she needs to present because she needs to present internally to raise awareness of what they're doing so that they can cross sell to other parts of the practice and she needs to run marketing seminars externally as well so I've been working with her on that and what do I think's behind it is she just really fearful she's center of attention not sure what to do doesn't think she's very good at it um, I don't think she's ever had some horrendous experience. I think you just most people, you probably find this as well with your area of expertise, they just have a fear of being centre of attention in front of everyone with all the spotlight on them. Yeah. So I, that's what I, I put it down to. I mean, some people clearly have had a distinct negative experience. but um, And the same is true, not just when it comes to presenting, where you are absolutely right, you are there... Uh, in the center, in the middle of the attention, but also when it comes to having a, a normal meeting. And mm -hmm. it seems to me that we, again, a lot of professionals, they would love, perhaps they're having a conversation with their colleagues in a meeting, a formal meeting, and they would love to say something. They would love yeah. to speak mm -hmm. up, but they don't do it all the mm. time. Isn't that true? Yeah, it's really true. Yeah, in, in meetings, I think... They often don't don't feel there's space. It's hard to get the airtime. So I work with people on the skills to do that. Yeah. And also they just think, well, what, I'm not sure what I have to say is valuable. Hmm. The other place, actually, where I think people are even more fearful is networking. Hmm. So the fear of walking in that room and everybody is already in set groups and, oh, where on earth do I start? Who do I start talking to? So I do a lot of work with people on networking skills. And one of the biggest things in that is how to integrate well into the room, because if you don't do that well, you could end up in a place where you're not welcome if you don't read the body language and other signals right. And then all of that knocks your confidence back for the entire event. Mm. And even the most confident professionals very often dislike networking and going to events, so I mean, when I say that. so I also don't like it. <laughs> oh, okay. You need to come to one of my workshops. <laughs> Do you have any, any maybe tips, any practical advice when it comes to getting it right uh, from a networking perspective? Mm -hmm. I, and and I, 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 I guess, and sorry for that, it's a very broad question, but if... if no that's fine I could be talking for two hours from this point. 
uh, top things I'd say people's inclination is if it's an open quite informal event <clears throat> excuse me uh, that people will tend to not arrive on time and they'll in fact arrive late thinking mm. oh I'll go a bit later and I can just sneak in and I don't have to be there so long is what's going on in here but actually it's a really bad thing to do because then you get there and all the groups are quite formed mm. and it's even more difficult to integrate into the room so I'd say the first thing is to make sure you arrive on time or, or even a tiny bit early because that way you can get talking to the host potentially the host might introduce you to someone other people haven't yet started conversations so it's a bit easier it's freer to move around the room so you can more easily see where it's good to join so that's number one tip uh if it's if you're not immediately starting talking to someone make sure you go and get a drink mm. this isn't just about dutch courage grab a glass of wine it is about having something in your hand maybe you'll meet somebody whilst you're getting that drink or you can survey the room and plan where you're going to go. You don't want to end up stood in the middle of the room looking around anxiously who to talk to. And the third tip really is to look at people's body language. So if there's a, a gap that it looks like you can easily walk into and join, that's a good one. Mm. Uh, odd number groups are a good one because it's very rare that the conversation is completely even. Say, for example, amongst three people, there's usually two that are talking a bit more. So the other person will probably be quite glad that you arrived. Nice. I like that one. Okay. Thank you. Good. I also wanted to, I found something very interesting uh, online. You worry um, me when you say this. I think what have you dug up about me? Uh, no, it's uh, everything I found comes from your published content. So no, no, no problem. But it's something inter interesting because we, we use the format as, as well uh, ourselves when we work with our clients. And when it comes to interviews, I have it here. You, one of the approaches that you suggest to, to your clients for them to be able to articulate their experience and expertise well at an interview is the CAR format, C-A-R, CAR. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us what that is and how it works? Yeah, it feels like a test. Good job, I know. So <laughs> <laughs> CAR is a very simple framework that you're right, I do use for people going for interviews. I also suggest it to people when they're talking at networking about work they've done to give examples to people to bring to life what the sorts of things they help with. So the C is for context. And that should be the shortest part of it. You need to give enough context that people get a feel for the situation you were in, but not go on too long because that's the mistake people make is they rely on they need to describe every detail for situation then the next bit a is action and that's the action you took now you can talk about the action that was taken i.e., generally by your team who you were working with but particularly for an interview you want to make sure it's clear to the interviewer the skills you demonstrated and used so people are often a bit shy about that but making sure that action is really clear the parts you did as part of the bigger piece and then the r is the result so the outcome what actually happens as a result of that so that's a really important framework to use interviewing hopefully you can see how that works at networking too and even if you're asking people to do a recommendation on your linkedin profile if they say you know what do you want i, I try and give them that framework because it's more likely then that they'll be able to think of something useful rather than a very general comment yeah, and I can tell also our listeners that this is definitely a very useful format to follow. Also, in our world, when it comes to presentations, especially if you need to give a presentation mm. about a project, a project mm. presentation. Yeah. 
it works very well both for past projects and for future ones mm. because in a past project your car is okay this was the context this is what we did actions and this is what we achieved yeah. results and also for a future project here is the context this is what we are planning to do the actions mm. and this is what we are planning to achieve mm. so that's why i was interested because it's something that we use as well <laughs> oh really. great good now we've been talking about communication more or less so far what about what do you think about listening so of course of course we are talking about speaking and, and communication but I'm, I'm interested in understanding your view on on this side of things listening do, do do you think that people are good at listening do they listen enough do they listen at all what, what do you think uh generally people aren't great at mm. listening uh, I would say from talking about the majority of people I work with, there's a, a real pressure, I think, quick, we've got to get things done. And that puts that focus there rather than listening to people. And I spend a lot of my time, a lot of my private client work is usually around when people have hit some sort of challenge in their career. And that could be related to situations. So you know, lack of networking skills, mm. lack of ability to develop, develop business, but it's often with other people. So that mm. could be internal or external. And one of the biggest things people don't do is listen enough. And I find myself saying a lot, if someone's coming to you and they're frustrated, angry, they've got a particularly negative emotion. If you don't listen to all of that and you respond without hearing them through properly, they're not going to hear you anyway, because you, they haven't felt heard. So you need to listen and then also make sure they know that you've heard them. So you might not agree, you might not agree with what they say, but they at least need to feel that they've been heard, feel valued. So I spend a lot of time getting my clients to practice that and making sure they really are understanding the situation that they're being presented with, asking people questions back, clarifying, not just running away with what they think the person said. So I, I would agree lack of listening is a, a big challenge. And you see a lot about it on LinkedIn at the moment. I'm finding people are posting the typical thing about two ears, one mouth, that sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and we see a lot also when it comes to presentations. One of the mistakes we see is that in a Q&A, for example, then so you've done your, you've given your presentation and then you get asked some some questions and you have this, you see that so often that you can see that the presenter is there not listening fully to that question, but they are already starting thinking about what they need mm. to answer. Mm. And, 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 and that can be an issue because you, you most likely will miss something from that question. So the, the tip there is to really listen fully until the very end and then it's your turn. Definitely, because otherwise what I've seen happen is the presenter is not answering the question that the person really asked, are they? I'm sure you've seen that a lot as well. And actually, by your time, I think as a presenter, you think, oh, no, I've got to have the answer. Exactly. But actually, it's no good having the wrong answer. So you might as well listen to the question fully first. Uh, there's a, an article that you wrote and I don't know whether the title was I've got something written here I don't know whether it was exactly this title but the, the, the idea behind it I liked it very much and I'd like you to explore it for us a bit more the title was something like I don't know can increase your credibility <laughs> could you yeah. tell us about it? 
Yeah, sure. So this relates a little bit to what I was saying earlier of the pressure that people have to know everything now. We need to have a response. We need to move on. But I, I come across this a lot, especially with my actuarial clients. So because they're very bright, they've passed a lot of exams, they feel they're scared of not having an answer. But actually, to not have an answer, you obviously don't want to not have an answer all the time, but it's an opportunity to build the relationship further. Because say your client asks you a question in a meeting and you don't know, well, A, it's not good to make something up because that could be completely wrong and you'll regret it later. But also it's an opportunity to build the relationship because you show your honesty by saying, I'm not sure about that. I need to go back and check the data, the analysis, whatever it might be. It's an opportunity to build a relationship because then you can say, I will come back to you by the end of tomorrow with an answer. And when you do that, you reinforce trust and credibility. And also you're showing people that you're bothering to take the time to value their question and to answer it properly. So I think that is a really underrated skill. People just have this massive fear of not knowing. And even when I speak at events, uh, people have asked me things that I just, you know, I can't remember. Maybe it's a data point or I don't Tell remember where it. I got something from. Yeah. <laughs> I think, oh, I don't know. Well, I'm not going to make that up. So I say, if you come up to me at the end and give me your name and an email address, I will come back to you with an answer. And not all of them then do that. But if they do, then I will go back to them. Yeah, no, I, I like it very much. It shows authority and absolutely builds up credibility. It shows vulner, vulnerabil mm. vulnerability as well, transparency. Mm. So mm. it's it's great. It's um, not realistic. We all know everything. It's just it's rubbish. It's absolutely rubbish. Even on your specialist area, you can't possibly know everything. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Uh, one of the last questions I wanted to ask you, Joanna, is is this? Now, when it comes to presentation skills, because I know that you have experience there as well. Do you think that there, re, there are any areas of the presentation process which really make the difference? For example, is it the, is it the message? Is it the, is it the delivery? Is it, uh, is it the slides? You know, if you think about mm. presentation as a whole, mm. what, what really makes a difference for you? I'm going to fudge my answer a bit because I do think it's a combination of all those mm. things. Um, there's the initial impact when you appear, because as I said earlier, if you don't get credibility and get people's attention in that moment, then you've lost a lot of it. There's thinking about with your slides, what is your key message on each slide? If you don't have one, it's just going to go into a blur and people will stop listening. Uh, what that slide actually looks like so it shouldn't be death by powerpoint i i do think slides are an effective thing to use in a lot of scenarios to use them myself but you've got to use them well yeah. the minute you've got sentences going on for four lines which i have seen that's not good and that's a report in powerpoint which i know some organizations might use it for and that's fine but don't go and try and present that and if people are focusing more on what's on the slide than on you that's not a good thing so I think it is a real recipe of things. And I am not someone to get people to ever use scripts when they're presenting. I don't know what you do. I think they're a bad idea personally. I think if you're using slides, somebody should know their material enough. That they glance at the slide and know, right, this is where I talk about X, Y, and Z with that core message in mind. Joanna, thank you very much. Before we wrap up, are there any... And if there is nothing that comes to your mind, no problem at all, but any books or when it comes to personal impact, mainly, 
any mm -hmm. books or articles in addition to all of your articles which <laughs> I, I recommend to to everybody on on joanna's linkedin profile that's where i found them lots of great stuff there but anything else books resources articles podcasts mm. uh, people to follow anything that comes to your mind mm. for those who are interested in learning more about personal impact yeah, I would say there's three key books that come into my mind. Actually, mm. they're all on my bookshelf just over there. Um, the first one is Presence by Amy Cuddy. Oh, Amy Cuddy. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the one, the TED Talk. Um, yeah, that's right. The, the power pose. The power pose. Yeah. Yeah. Her book's very good. Her Presence book. Um, okay. It's been out probably two or three years now. Um, I've got one the hardback, but I'm sure it's probably available in paperback mm. now. The other one that you don't hear about much, but I think it's a very good book, is called Compelling People. So a mm. very clever title by John Messinger and somebody else whose name, oh, Matthew Cohut. Uh, so that's another good one. And then the third one is Caroline Goida's Gravitas. So they would be my top three. I'm not saying I've read every book on it, but they would be my top three. I think there are various other ones. I'm just glancing at my shelf. Um, I mean, really, the the whole whole topic of why relationships matter there's a great book that was written a long long time ago which you probably heard of how to win friends and influence people dave Carnegie, yeah and so he's long dead but his institute lives on yeah. so that's quite a good one i do actually think it's better than the title because the title makes it yes absolutely um, i i agree with you actually i read it many years ago and everybody was talking about this book as being one of the greatest books of all time I didn't like the title. Mm. How, how, to, <laughs> how to win friends and influence people. It sounds people. manipulative, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, but actually, no. It, it's, I don't know what you think about it. I, I no, guess you're like really. It a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not about manipulating people, not at all. Um, no, it's not. So it's recommended, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, it's just the reality of everybody's different. We do buy people, we like some people, we dislike others. And how do we be ourselves and the best possible version of ourselves? Yeah. So I think, I think all of those books do that. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing this list. Is there anything else that you would like to, before we close, that you would like to, to share with our listeners? Any, any final messages? Make time to think about this stuff because people don't, they go along and they think about doing well in their job. So um, there is a, a theory by someone called Coleman um, that says that exposure is the most important element of career success. So there's performance, image, exposure, pie. Exposure is the most important. So who knows you? And then the next thing is image. What do they think about you? The performance, a lot of the time, is assumed, assuming you're doing a relatively good job in your organisation. So people do not make enough time to think about, well, how do I get known in the organisation and what am I getting known for? I think this is a perfect way to, to wrap <laughs> Another up. Another theory. Yeah. Th thank you very much, Joanne. I really appreciate your time. Pleasure. It's been fun. It's been enjoyable. I've learned so much and I'm sure it's been the, the, the same for our listeners. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for interviewing me. That's great. Thanks. Have a good day. If you enjoyed this episode of the Ideas on Stage podcast, there are many more you might like. So please subscribe, leave us a review and tell us what you think. You can find many more ideas on business communication at ideasonstage.com or by searching for Ideas on Stage on iTunes, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Thanks for listening and goodbye for now.